Welcome to the Make Life Click podcast. Our vision is to awaken deeper levels of connection, direction and purpose in people's lives through a reimagining of online community. We believe in the power of trust and that we're at our best when we're together. Well, here we are, episode two of the Make Life Click podcast. We're still learning the ropes. I'm really pleased to welcome Charlotte, who's here with me today. And we're going to be talking about the um, community value of trust. So just to remind those of you who might not have heard about the Make Life Click values, Make Life Click as a community is founded upon seven values, and they are trust, humility, honesty, kindness, appreciation, courage, and curiosity. And this next week, we are, as a community, moving into focusing around the first of those values, trust. Charlotte has very kindly agreed to come and talk to me today about what trust means to her and how trust plays out in her life and her experience. So just just in case you're wondering, yes, Charlotte and I are married. Not many husbands and wives would do a podcast together. I think it's probably not particularly great for marriage because it's great grounds to have a big row. So we're hoping that that's not going to happen today. So Charlotte, why don't you introduce yourself, talk a little bit about your background and what's motivating and inspiring you in life at the moment. Thanks, Tim. So I'm probably one of the rare few who doesn't actually listen to podcasts very often. Um, sometimes if Tim's passed one my way that he's recommended, I've either listened to a snippet of it or have sort of skimmed over it a little bit. So it's really good to be able to um, get to know what's involved in making these. So I'm glad to have been invited. So I'm also known as Charlie. Uh, mum, mummy, Mrs. Jameson, Miss. Uh, Tim and I have been married for just over 20 years now and I have passed the 40 mark. I'm mother to three, 16, 13 and 10. And my training was as a primary school teacher, which I did for many years. But currently I'm not. I'm now working in a local secondary school. I've taken on a role there as the wellbeing lead for staff and students. You know, it was a very timely appointment because we didn't know that around the corner uh, was going to be a pandemic unfolding. I am motivated by seeing people connect and feel like they belong um, and are worthy of people's time. And I think that this is just something that is a core something and a core need in all of us. And I think it's essential for growth or for us to be able to heal and develop and make the most of life and seek enjoyment um, in all its form. So we're here in our home in West Sussex today. We've got the kids stomping about the place around us, making lots of noise. And we're at that stage of life now as parents where The kids are wanting to stay up as late as us at night. No part of the house belongs to us. There's just feels like there's just mess everywhere. And just every minute of every day could potentially be filled with just tidying up and all the stuff that goes with running a house with growing children in it, particularly teenagers. Charlie, in amongst all that busyness, because you work so hard and in amongst all your busyness, what is inspiring you in life at the moment when you're looking around with the pandemic going on and there's so much that we could be feeling low about or feeling worried about feeling anxious about but what is it that's inspiring you I think a lot of the teenagers that I'm working with at school actually I think when I see them coming in and taking a step to talk to me and to ask to be listened to And I hear their stories, I hear the things that 
are huge going on for them at home, um, whether that's health or to do with relationships or traumas and family situations. And yet they are still coming into school. They are still working hard for their GCSEs that may or may not come to be. You know, we don't know what's going to happen um, as we know for our eldest, her year 11 exams didn't end up being sat, but um, those students just keep coming in with a smile on their faces, willingness to learn, push through um, and have hope for their futures, even when things are really quite dark for them right now and lots of uncertainty. That really motivates me and helps me to get a little bit of perspective on things that challenge me each day. And the community make life click is based around values as we've already said but it's also based around this question of hope over fear and how life might be different if we based more of our decisions on hope you just mentioned hope specifically as being part of what motivates some of the students that you come in, into contact with at, at school within the school em- environment what are you as adults, what are you as teachers finding that you're learning from the pupils? Because so often we, we we can see it the other way around. Is there anything specific there? Yeah, I think the students wouldn't necessarily recognise it as hope. I think it's just part of their, their being. And it's certainly not across all students, but um, I, you know, particularly the ones I'm thinking about now, it's the the idea of not focusing on where their feet are at now which actually might be a really difficult place but somehow being able to have dreams for the future hopes for the future looking to the future and seeing that as their goal um, and that being a motivator to sort of push them through what's going on now you know they they don't focus or they don't seem to focus on the hurdles they're looking at the goal and I think sometimes we are too busy looking at all of our barriers the things that are stopping us or holding us back from what we have as hopes and dreams and I do question whether we as adults have the same drive to look to our future dreams you know do we get to 40 and think well that's you know I've, I've had my dream I dreamed about having a, a family and I, I dreamt about having a career and being successful in that or whatever it is that we dreamt at that point do we then have a point where we stop dreaming do we keep thinking about our futures and looking forward to something um so yes I think the students really motivate me in that way um this whole idea of not looking at our feet but uh looking at the end goal and then just sort of almost unconsciously preparing the steps that might lead us there so what do you think it is about the younger generation that means that they're able to think beyond the hurdles of life and to focus on what their dreams are and the pursuit of those versus us as adults who can get so caught up in obstacles and and can'ts and, and just though that sort of feeling of cynicism and defaulting to I'd love to but I'd love to but what what causes that difference do you think and when does the switch flip when does it change that's a really good question actually it's making me think I think whilst there are these students who against all odds and with really exceptionally difficult circumstances they are able to get themselves out of bed get to school work their hardest support people around them make plans for their future Um, I think what often breaks my heart is the amount of students who 
are the flip side of that. They're the students who really do feel the weight of the world. They are struggling mentally and emotionally and they are struggling to catch hold of that hope. They are struggling to see that things could be better tomorrow and yeah that really saddens me and that's part of the reason why I left my sort of general teaching job and went into this line of work um is because I feel just a real urge in me to see if I can make a difference um you know I want these students these children to know that I'm rooting for them and I'm not giving up on them and that we will try to you know, make a positive difference together and that things can get better. I think one of the frustrations when I was class teaching was that, you know, I was there as an educator and obviously that includes supporting, the, you know, children's well-being. But children come into school each day with a whole load of, of extra barriers, barriers to their learning. And as a classroom teacher it can be very difficult to have the time to be able to invest in these children to help them to address those barriers, to overcome those barriers, um, to be given strategies and tools that they can use that, you know, when these barriers appear later on in their lives, they're already equipped. And so the job role, when I saw this come up at the local secondary school, it was something that I just thought, yes, that's what I want to do, that I want to be given permission and the time to full-time be able to support students with those barriers because of course once we've overcome some of those barriers we've got those tools those strategies we are able to push on and we are able to progress and we we're able to deal with things a little more healthily as as they come up what you've said has reminded me of a, a post that was written by someone for make life click and um, they entitled it questioning a life lived in fear and they were reflecting as part of it back on when they were a child and I'm just looking at it now and it says back when I was a child I was scared of nothing so when did I let fear take over and when did I stop feeling the fear and doing it anyway so just in in terms of the young people that you've been talking about and the experience Charlie that you've had in terms of growing from a a child through your teenage years to becoming an adult, to becoming a mother, and now to becoming a mother of um, children that we see very much growing into adulthood. Reflecting on just the era of hope over fear and what that person wrote in that post around reflection back on being a child and I was fearless, now I feel fearful. What's your experience being there? Where's the almost how would you articulate the dividing line between being a child who's afraid of not much and just sees the world as a place of opportunity versus where you are personally today as an adult and an adult in contact with young people both at home and in your professional life I think firstly fear is a very natural part of of who we are and I think it to, to sense fear is a really important response you know, when when we're growing up, it helps us to judge a situation. It helps us, you know, before we enter it, and it helps us to naturally do that risk assessment 
before we do something. That's why I love things like forest school and when schools are doing those things, whether you're equipping children to make their own risk assessments rather than us as adults telling them, no, that's that's dangerous, no, that's scary, no, no, that's not safe. I think sometimes we're very quick as adults to put that onto the children and to increase that sense of fear in an unhealthy way. Um, I think the more we can equip children, and I hope that that's what I'm trying to do in school and as a parent, and obviously I stuff that up sometimes, but try trying to you know, enable our children to be able to be risk assessors themselves, not to rely on you know, my, uh, my rules or my um, take on a situation, it's important that they can hear about something and to be able to make their own judgments because obviously increasingly we want our children to be independent. We want them to, um, to be confident in their decision-making and their abilities to judge situations. Um, so, yeah, I think that's really important. I don't think generally that I'm a very fearful person. I think... Um, I don't know whether that's down to my upbringing or situations and relationships or a combination of everything. But um, I think I often look at a situation where I maybe have that beginning sense of fear building. And I, at the moment, feel that I'm able to generally separate myself enough to think, okay, will I still be fearful of this tomorrow? Would I still be fearful of this next week? And it just helps to get a bit of perspective of how impactful that fear is and whether it's a fear in the moment that will pass or if it's something that um, takes me completely out of my comfort zone. Um, I don't know, I think there's something about, and I think, again, somebody said it on the Make Life Click community, there's something about embracing the fear, recognising it and doing that thing anyway and I think I tend to be somebody who thinks, well, what's the worst can, that can happen? But equally, what's the good that I might miss out on if I don't do that thing? Mm. Um, yeah, I think also I can, I like the, I don't know whether it's the ordered part of me or or what it is really, but I like the idea of alleviating my fears by thinking, well, other people have already done it and they're fine. <laughs> And I think, you know, there's some things like I was talking to somebody earlier about um, the fact that I did this a skydive. And, um, you know, that was something that when I spoke to people about wanting to do that for a, a local children's hospice, I could tell by people's responses that that was a that was something that brought would bring fear to them. And I think in my head, I was thinking, well, loads of people have done it. These trainers, they're really uh, they're, they're trained to do it. They know what they're doing. And. I had facts in front of me that told me that there was no need to be fearful here. This wasn't something I needed to to worry about. But I also heard that people have found this the most exhilarating experience ever. And that was what I was wanting, as well as being able to do good and raise some money for the charity. Yeah, I'm thankful for anybody who's who's influenced that being part of me. But at the moment, I'm very, th- very thankful that I haven't had fears that have crippled me, which I know is very real for a lot of people. We were having a chat last night, Charlie, weren't we, about the fact that um, our son loves to go out for night mm-hmm. walks. And his favourite thing would be to, in the cold and the wet and the dark, to go right up on top of the South Downs. With just um, a head torch. <laughs> yeah, with just a head torch. And that, I think, it, 
it's just that sense of adventure that he gets but he feels no fear just thinking about what you said about the way that we as adults can sometimes talk to children and younger people we almost warn them of danger but use terminology that suggests that the danger will absolutely come to pass that the risks will become reality they are definite they are definite yeah and I know even just as an as an adult when my son says to me dad can we go for another night walk tonight there's something within me that wants to say things like but we're going to get too cold um it's we not don't know who might be up there at we the don't know who's going to be up there <laughs> it's not safe and saying it in a way where again yeah use that word definite i'm saying it as a definite or last night our little after dark trip was down onto the beach when the tide was right out and he just rushed straight onto the beach rolled down the stones and i wanted to say don't roll down the stones because you don't know what might be on the stones but he's young he's young he doesn't think about that kind of thing it's just fun it's exhilarating and I was so conscious of not wanting to push my fears and anxieties if you want to call them those I don't want to impress those upon Mm. him when he's living a life where those just aren't part of his experience and I just wonder a personal level how much of ways that I now experience life as an adult were as a result of potentially conversations that were had towards me when I was younger no, I'm just putting that out there as a question. People perhaps telling me that things that I needed to be afraid of certain things. They might not have used those terms. You need to be afraid because these things will come to pass if you're not afraid or you don't avoid or you're not careful. Yeah. And I think it's a really it's a really fascinating area. But I also know it's one that has to be treated very sensitively because there are so many people who do, as Charlotte said, suffer with real crippling fear and anxiety around certain things. So, Charlie, just in terms of this whole area then of um, hope over fear, why have you got involved in Make Life Click? And just talk a little bit more around what hope over fear means to you, particularly as somebody who doesn't really feel they get fearful or anxious that often. Well, firstly, Make Life Click, obviously the conversations behind that were very much had at home, you know, between Tim and I. Um, He was around when I was, you know, feeling some frustrations in classes um, at school. He was around when he seen me marking books to the early hours, but feeling like the hours of effort weren't necessarily um, adding the amount of value to the children's lives um, that I really wanted to. So I think the conversation around well-being for for people, for all of us, um, was very much trickling under... <laughs> under the surface for quite a while wasn't it um but I I love the idea of make life click and it's it's its values and the fact that it feels really refreshing and different um I feel frustrated at other social media sites where you know I know that somebody is really struggling but yet you click on their profile and everything about the photographs the comments suggest nothing but a happy family happy life happy work life and you know I and I find it really sad that that's that's how the pressure seems to be that we put that across so I I find it really refreshing that make life click is about being real and that that's good and it's celebrated and it's about being together when things are good and to celebrate those things together but also to be support and available for each other when things aren't such good and also good um mm. 
you know, and I, I like the idea of being involved in something where I might be able to have a positive impact on the group sometimes and equally the group are there when I'm struggling with things. Yeah. Some people listening might think, okay, that all sounds lovely, but do we really want to go online and, and talk about some of the things that we're struggling with? How? What are your thoughts around that, just in terms of what you personally hope for and your own personal experiences and sensibilities, sensitivities towards that kind of thing? How far, how far do you go? Where do you draw the line? How do you know when to be open, how open to be, when it's going to be helpful and when actually you might be crossing the line into it becoming not so helpful? Yeah, I think one of the things that I say to all the teenagers at school is that the first step is often just sharing it with somebody, sharing with someone you trust, um, how you're feeling and that talk is so important. It can be the start of um, a process that helps to make things better. And I think where Make Life Click is concerned, I don't see it as a community where we spill out every inner detail of our turmoil and trouble. But at the same time, it's a it's a positive step we can make to say, hey, I need help. I'm struggling. Um, and that's often in the points of initial tension and initial difficulty rather than when we get to a point of crisis. And I think that's the thing. It's about the values of you know honesty and being able to build a community of trust where it's a safe place to be able just to share those little those little things and those little difficult feelings before they become big feelings that overwhelm mm. us and um and i think especially i mean i think testimony is a really important thing i think sometimes when it's that we've come through something whether it's a big something whether it's a small something the power of testimony of saying hey this is this is where i was at this is what i've done this is who's supported this is what i have found has helped me whether that's something i've read i've spoken you know to somebody i've um you know spoken to a an organization that can help and i think after our experiences it can be quite a healing thing for us to be able to share that and a really affirming thing to share you know where we've come from and where we're at now um but also that that can really be a support to people because there's always people yeah. going through things that are similar even though they don't mirror you know exactly there will always be little nuggets of something that we can associate with because yeah. life is full of yeah. you know, its challenges and its good things. Yeah, I think I think that's that's really interesting what you've said there, Charlie. Just the the fact that perhaps many people would shy away from talking about the things that they struggle with, the things that are challenging them because they don't want to put their worries and concerns onto mm. other people. Yeah. But through what you were just saying there, suggesting that actually it's not about weighing others down with your worries and your concerns, but it's much about, I was going to use the word admitting, but it's as much, use the word testament, I think. It's as much about just saying, I struggle with this kind of stuff too. Mm. And then that can have a profound impact on somebody else not feeling so alone. In, in their own struggles and in and of itself it can cause there to it can produce a, a lightness like that whole a problem shared is a problem halved um it's so easy isn't it to feel all consumed by your own 
challenges, frustrations, anxieties, whatever, you, however you would term what's going on for you. But just through the very act of, of talking, even if it's at quite a light level, just talking or beginning to talk can bring mm. about a lightness. Definitely. I don't know if um, hopefully this might be helpful to somebody and feel free to grab something and, and try this now. Um or remember it for somebody, particularly I think for younger people or your children, um, to put across the idea of sharing um, being important. Um, someone said to me re- in this last week, actually, um, Miss, Miss, hold this. And so I, I held, and it was an alcohol gel bottle, what else at the moment, if the school mm-hmm. is full of them. Um, and they asked me to hold it in my outstretched arm. And, you know, she said to me, well, how does that feel? How, how, what sort of weight do you think that's got? And I sort of guessed it was about, I don't know, half a kilogram. And, uh, and they said, okay, keep holding it. How would, how would you be feeling if you held that for five minutes? And I said, I'd probably be all right. Um, my arm might start aching a bit. And they said, okay, how would you feel if you held that for an hour? And we talked about the sensations that that might be. How would you feel if you were holding that for a day or for a whole week or for the year? And obviously the idea behind that is the idea that actually the longer we hold something, the more strain and pressure and tension and impact it has on the rest of our body. And so talking about the mind, you know, if we are holding a worry and we're not able to share it initially, it might be then that actually that becomes a bigger worry or a bigger burden or has a bigger impact on our life and the decisions that we make and on our relationships and it has a bigger impact um you know she then went on to say well actually what else could you have done I said well I could have asked you to take a turn or I could have asked if there was something I could do like could I put it you know rest my arm on something whilst holding it you know because actually I might need a bit of support um, whatever it is and it was just a really helpful a very simple but very helpful analogy that was just a reminder of of sometimes we need to share things sometimes we need to just put it down mm. sometimes it's about getting the right support but actually just to stay there holding it yeah becomes really destructive actually yeah it's amazing isn't it how sometimes we can we we have these feelings, we have these sensations that feel so complex in nature and it can be so hard to express in words what's actually going on. So much so that um, it almost feels like too much to try and express. So we just hold on to stuff. Then it just becomes like a normality. And you used the term miss, this person had mm. called you miss, but I know it wasn't actually a young person no. who was talking Adults to you. Adults in school call an adult. miss. In, in, in the presence of students, we call each other miss. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think that's that's a really great example of how you can use a simple analogy um, to express what's potentially feels or seems like fairly complex um, emotion, an emotion that could have been going on for many years, if not a lifetime. Yeah, and I think there's lots of different analogies that I've heard like that, whether it's, um, you know, the idea of, a, of carrying a rucksack that's got increasing numbers of rocks in because you're never dealing with any of the rocks and it's just something that you're burdened and carrying around with you and how that could be debilitating. Other people use the analogy of a, a fizzy drink bottle and the idea that some of these little things, if we don't deal with them when they're small, 
um, you know, that, that little shake of the bottle and then something else happens and that's another shake of the bottle and the pressure's building and at some point that top's going to blow with a very messy, you know, with a messy outcome. But actually if we're able to shake the bottle because life does have its shakes and then release the cap a little bit just to release some of that pressure because we deal with it or we seek help or we have a conversation, um, you know, the the pressure doesn't ever become a point where it overwhelms us. And I think that, that you know, there's lots of different useful analogies I find. Mm. But then yeah. I work in pictures, I don't know. And I guess that's where some something like community is so important because you get different people who mm. think about things in different ways yeah. but have common experiences in terms of things they think, things they feel, and it enables you to come together and express in in different ways and support one another in different ways i think this this brings us quite nicely charlie onto the area of trust as i said earlier trust is the number one value so number one of the seven values that make life click is is being founded on and although it's a simple word trust i guess it could mean slightly different things to different people so i'm interested what what trust means to you yeah, so every time I was trying to think about this one, um, I couldn't get away from the fact that I can't think of trust without the idea of truth as well. I think they kind of go hand in hand. You know, trust can make or break a relationship or it can, I don't know, heavily influence our ability to to challenge our, our fear or whatever. And I think we often need truth in order to reassure ourselves that something is worthy of our trust I think we're naturally quite protective of ourselves um and I know so I I can certainly be quite protective of myself um but yeah I feel like I if I know that I can I don't know get truth in terms of facts enough to um give me a reassurance then actually I can trust that situation. So I mean, going back to that skydive idea, you know, I um, some people the idea of being absolutely petrified of it. And I think for me, I could trust the experience of the instructor. I trusted the equipment I was given because I knew the truth that there had been however many skydives. I knew the truth that it's checked so regularly Um I trusted the, the safety backup plans because they had been proven to work in the past and we were given those kind of reassurances. Um, and I trusted the experience of the man I was strapped to, which obviously helped. And actually, for some reason, it especially helped me when he shared that he was a paramedic. I don't know quite how that made a difference. We'd be strapped together and I'm not sure how much help he'd be if we crash landed. Um, but there's something about having truths that help to, you know, give us that trust. Mm. Um, I think sometimes you have to choose to trust something. I yeah. think it's, you know, we, we can't eliminate all eventualities, yeah. any possibilities, any problems. But on um, Along those lines, just thinking around how we might talk about trust with someone else, you'll hear people say things like, can I trust you? You'll sometimes hear that from a parent to a child, from an adult to a child can I trust you not to can I trust you to do this but then there are other you kind of flip flip that around there are other times when we just inherently trust mm. 
But don't you find it funny though? If you know, if you think about, you know, if we were to say to somebody, "Can I trust you?" Their automatic response would probably be something factual that would be almost a prover that you can. So, you know, can I trust you? If I was to be told that, I might say, "Well, I'm a teacher. I'm a mum of three children. I've had responsibility for this. I'm part of a safeguarding team. I've got that training." So I would want to build that person's ability to trust me by giving them truths to hold on to yeah okay that's that's really interesting that you say that because it's obviously mm-hmm. only us two having the conversation and we can only talk for our, from from our own experiences but i do the same but in a very different way so if someone was to say to me can i trust you my mind wouldn't go to um things that I've been in my life I'm not a teacher and I don't think I've ever well maybe I I might have been in charge of a team I wouldn't say yes you can trust me because I'm the head of a team I would be more inclined to speak words along the lines of trust is really important to me and it's Mm. really important to me in terms of my relationship with other people that I can trust them so I count it important that others can trust me and that starts with me being trusting of myself. I would start from from yeah. from the from, from that position. Yeah. yeah, because actually, in terms of you know real life trustworthiness, just because I'm a teacher doesn't mean I'm trust trustworthy. Mm. But you know how many of us have said to our children, if you get lost in a crowd, go to someone with children or go to someone in a uniform or go to someone that's got the high vis on or whatever it is, you know, we automatically suggest to children that those are safe places, which they are and they but, should be. But do you think, because do you think um, that's and, like... And why also we're so horrified when we see on the news yes, examples of yes. where somebody in a trustworthy position yeah. has fallen short of that. So, so do you think actually, particularly with the younger generation... So if we we take our kids as an example, I don't think, we haven't had this conversation directly with them, but I don't think that they would choose to trust somebody purely based on their position. Maybe their teacher at school, maybe. They would choose to trust someone based on their observations and experience of that person. Mm -hmm. Um, So we might, this might be a generational thing, but we might look to someone and say, I I will trust that person because they have a responsibility to be trustworthy, mm-hmm. not because I've I've observed them, I've seen <laughs> the the fruit of their life, if you like, and I'm choosing within myself to place my trust in them just because it feels like they are trustworthy from what I've mm-hmm. I've seen. It's in, interesting, isn't it? I yeah. think when you start thinking of it in 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 those ways, would you agree that younger people and you you work with young people, if you were to talk about trust with them, the way that they would view trust and the way that they would say they get to a position of trust with someone is perhaps different to the older generations. I think they would talk about you can just tell that they're nice. You know that they would sort of say they. It's almost like they trust their judgment of someone's character there's something that they sense about that person that puts them at ease and I think actually if you think about children you know going back to we think about when our children were young and they would be they would definitely cling on to us a lot more 
around certain people, sometimes we could understand that, but that wasn't because we'd had a conversation with them about how we maybe feel around that person, but maybe somehow that's communicated subconsciously. But children can be very wary of people and very, you know, trusting of others. Yeah. So flip it around. Mm Mm-hmm. How do you judge your own trustworthiness? Oh, that's a horrible question. I don't. Uh, Is that something you even ever think about? I think because I think I'm quite an honest person, honest with myself most of the time as well. I'd like to think that because, again, going back to this idea of trust and truth being related, you know, and I can be, it can be seen as one of my faults. I know that I can be so black and white about everything. But in my black and whiteness, I think it means that it's very obvious how I'm, you know, I I very very much am what I put across to be. So I think I'm quite authentic. So mm-hmm. in that way, I think I was quite trustworthy because it's clear. Okay, so the air of truth and trust, being true to yourself in itself is a pathway towards being trustworthy. Yeah, yeah. Int- <laughs> yeah. In- interesting. What would you, with the way that the world is, particularly at, at the moment, all the way down to the way that things are in in your life locally and within yourself, what would you hope to see more of in the area of trust over this next little while? I think, again, it just it is related back to truth because we can't we can influence other people but we can't control the way other people behave or think or feel so I think it's really important that we are always seeking to be our authentic selves whether that's what we're putting across on social media whether that is how we are um you know in our workplaces in our families in our relationships with others um it's about being I hate the phrase best version of us but I think in some ways it is about that you know it's not it's not being authentic and therefore accepting all of our flaws and allowing those to continue but it's accepting our flaws and knowing where it's important that we try to improve on some Mm. of those and you know we can only and it's saying it's okay to be that it's it should be that being truthful, you know, like we look at all the politicians, all the things that are going on at the minute in the world with the president elections and and all sorts of things, you know, so much of it, if actually people were being truthful and it wasn't all about the banter with each other and if they delivered what they promised and they held their hands up and said, I mucked up, I got it wrong, we can't deliver what we said, I just think the amount of respect and trust that we would have in these authorities to lead us would be something so different yeah we don't expect perfection from people we know that we as humans are imperfect yeah but to be able to recognize our faults say sorry i noticed that a lot at school is actually the students really value and of course not just i apologize not just my apologies but actually to say sorry say i'm really sorry um, and actually that then builds up the trust that I feel I have with the students because sometimes they recognise that outwardly and, you know, one student did say to me, Miss, you, you said sorry when you did that. I said, oh, yeah, it's because I forgot to do something and I, I was sorry because it made a, 
you know, a negative impact. It had a negative impact on you. Mm. So I did say sorry. And I think, I hope that can only build a picture that I am trustworthy. Trustworthiness leads to openness and openness leads to opportunity for healing and yeah hope yeah well we say as part of make life click that we're better when we're together Isn't that a jack johnson track too uh, yeah but better when we're together i guess it is i'm sure lots of people would look at something like make life click and say okay it's all about honesty it's an online thing what good can really come out of that we know that there are some people who like to just talk about stuff like that but it's not for me i can't really see the point i can't really see what it will achieve if someone were to challenge you with that like what would your response be well one of the main things that in all the training that i've had to do with mental illness and uh emotional struggles one of the first thing and, and you know panic attacks and physical symptoms of things one of the things that that you say and actually even a first aid training i remember the first thing you do if somebody looks like they're unconscious is to say i am here you are not alone and i think there's something about that and the power of that the reassurance of that on something like make life click you know that is the difference it makes you know i think we all crave a sense of belonging some of us even if we're introverted um actually we still need that sense of belonging we don't want to necessarily be with those people all the time you know that doesn't necessarily energize us but to know a sense of that belonging as part of our identity to know that we are valued to know that we are worthy of that um is so important so i think you know it's about voices being heard and about reassurance that yeah you're not alone yeah yeah well, in the whole area of trust, Charlie, what would you say is the biggest challenge facing you personally? You can switch the word challenge out for something that is more meaningful for you if you'd like to. I think for me, it's trusting in relation to my children. Uh, the care and protection of my children. I think I've often heard myself saying to them, you know, I, I trust you, it's the others I don't trust or something like that. It feels like, um, you know, I it, it's within my control, if you like, to make sure that I feel like I've, you know, involved my children in conversations about decisions they might make. You know, I can't... <laughs> safeguard against everything I can't protect protect them at every moment all I can do is you know for us as parents to um support them in the decisions that they make and helping them to look at you know possible eventualities without putting that fear which you already said is a really hard balance to strike isn't it um but I think it's just equipping them yeah, as, as the children are getting into sort of their teen years and or, or especially the fact that they're so keen to do various things online, you know, as we are parenting them as they get older, we are aware that we, we want them to be able to access some of these things. It's important for them in terms of their conversations with their peers um, and just for their independence. They're growing up, they're curious, they want to explore more. Um 
yeah, my struggles with trust are trusting that others will care for them and love them like I do. Will you know their relationships, whether that's you know a sixteen-year-old, you know potentially having a a boyfriend in not too not too distant future, and trusting that that they would look after her, um, and they would never put you know knowingly put her at risk or her friendships. Um, our son, you know, as you talked about with being on the beach the other day, it's getting the balance again of of trusting that he can make sensible judgments and not, you know, be so in the moment that he does something without realising, you know, the possible outcome. Mm. You know, I don't want to squash their curiosity or their sense of adventure or their excitement. How do you achieve the most healthy balance between asserting control in your parenting in order to protect and to care for as a as an adult towards a younger person versus trusting and relinquishing control in order to allow them to find their own way and not impose your own perhaps fear and anxiety or views on things on so how do you get that balance right it's difficult to put into words but I think people listening will know what I mean yeah no I I don't think I have got that balance I think I do err on the side of control um and that's where possibly that sense of fear comes in you know definitely if I if I lose loosen up this control my fear is that x y and z could happen um I, don't, I think all, all I can think of is some examples like we often say to our children, don't we, that um, just because they've got to a certain age and that is the same age as one of their siblings was, you know, was allowed something or was given the independence to do something doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be the same for each of them. That's not it's not about the age. It's about the maturity or the sense of responsibility and trust that we have in them. Um, so in terms of phones you know the the dreaded tech that you know can often cause the most tensions in our family um being allowed to have certain apps or um being able to have certain times that they can go on to their devices and things i think yes i have control of a lot of that um but it often relates to the amount of trust i feel i've got in the child so where trust has been, you know, where someone's proven they can be trustworthy, then I guess that control grip is loosened. I think it's that whole area of of just because a child has hit a certain age and that's the age their sibling was allowed to do something doesn't mean that's also okay for them. You know, they we're all individuals and I'd like to think that I do personalise things for the children dependent on where they're at and what they're doing. Mm. Um, their attitudes towards something um, you know I think our grip if you like our control of how our eldest used her device was a lot less a lot quicker um, mainly because she showed she was trustworthy she showed that where there were um, curfews or where there were um, rules and boundaries she didn't push those so therefore she was able to have a more relaxed touch Hmm. 
whereas you know maybe with one of our other children it's not been they've not shown that same amount of of self-control and of discipline with it and they've pushed boundaries and so trust isn't quite there in the same way so they you know with that person it's going to take a little bit more time yeah um whereas that person's maybe more streetwise and is able to go out and about more than another one yeah. the same age i think it's, it's confidences yeah. personalities all, all affects decisions and i think that's what's really important is we don't see our children as one and the same yeah i'm sure there's lots of parents who'd be listening who can associate with that it's a uh, an ongoing it's an ongoing learning curve <laughs> definitely definitely charlie changing changing tax slightly this is a big question how would you like to be remembered I don't know. I'd like I'd, I'd like to be thought of as if I hadn't have been around. It's a bit like that film. What's it called? Uh, the Christmas film. It's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. That if I hadn't been here, what? How would that have been? A bit of a shame, I think. Almost. What What hasn't happened? What wouldn't have happened as a result of me not being here? You know, how might I have made a positive difference to the life of even just one person? But then, obviously, we know that one person has a ripple effect on others. And, you know, I'd like to think that somehow I've made a difference. So over this next little while, what step or steps will you take towards causing that to become a reality or more of a reality? So I think professionally, having done having had a, a significant role change um which to some which to some extent was you know a bit of a personal sacrifice but in other ways has been you know totally amazing and absolutely the right decision i'd like to think that i've already taken a bit of a step into doing something different that hopefully makes that become real and if charlie based more of her decisions on hope rather than fear she would I think being better at knowing when it's okay to relinquish some of that control I don't know I think it's a bit like when you have your child go for a play date at someone's house and you know you remind your child don't forget to say please don't forget to say thank you and and actually, when you collect them, that adult saying, goodness, your children are so polite. Their manners are just so lovely. And I feel that tension of I feel that tension of both pride and also guilt that I obviously didn't trust that they would do that without me being present and without my reminding. So I think it's that being able to relinquish control, knowing that... Of course, I don't always get it right and that people are quite capable of making some of those decisions themselves. And I'd, I obviously hope that there might be something that I've said today that's resonated with somebody um, and that will help. Yeah, that will help somebody even just today. Thank you, Charlie, for entrusting me to ask you the questions today. And for everyone listening, I hope you'll join us again next time when we're going to be talking about the power of humility, the value of humility. And as I said in the intro video for Make Life Click, it was C.S. Lewis who said, humility is not thinking less of ourselves, it's thinking of ourselves less. So I hope you'll join us.
Thanks for listening to the Make Life Click podcast. We hope it's been helpful for you. Please leave us a comment wherever you listen to podcasts. We hope you'll join us again next time.